0: Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane. We're continuing our program Foundations in Faith. Today we're going to follow, um, again, St. Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 7 to 13. This is... um, a fairly simple part of the gospel, but it's one that has like a profound meaning for us in 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 our own day and age, because it has to do with the mission of Jesus and the mission of the church. We recall how dramatically this was done in the twelfth chapter of John, twentieth uh, chapter of John, when Jesus appears after the resurrection to the disciples and says to them, "As the Father has sent me, so also I send you." And and it's just one of the many places but one of the more dramatic places where Jesus is telling the disciples that he is handing over the mission that the Father has given him, he is handing it over to them. And that this this is a most amazing thing. You know, part of the problem with, with Jesus' claim to to Messiahship and one of the reasons why he wanted it kept quiet. Uh, especially in Mark's gospel, the great uh, messianic secret, is because the people of Israel all had expectations. Those who did believe there were a Messiah, they had all sorts of explanations, all sorts of expectations of what that Messiah was supposed to be. We know that in the Essene community, they they suspected maybe two messiahs, one a great teacher and one a great leader. And uh, what they got, of course, in in reality, was Jesus of Nazareth, which which in a way, at the time, satisfied not many of their great expectations. So what Jesus always did to the disciples was tell them, you know... um, I don't want you to tell people what you've seen. I don't want you to tell people because they are signs of the Messiah. They are signs of the Messiah's presence. And yet all of those people who are expecting a Messiah, if they hear the word Messiah, they think, here comes the great general, here comes the great prophet, here comes the great king, here comes the one who's going to crush all the evil in the world and reign over the world and so forth. In other words, they expected a purely kind of... um, kind of apocalyptic um, event to take place, one which they could see and understand, and one that they therefore could approve of. Jesus knew that if the disciples went out and said, you know, we have found the Messiah, and and Jesus is the Messiah, then all the people will immediately have these, put these expectations on him. And by doing so, they will never see who he really is. All they will ever see is the disappointment. And I think that, you know, we do that a lot of times. We have such high expectations for some things. And um, and then e- eventually they come and they're kind of a disappointment to us. Well, that's the way it was going to be with Jesus and his, mess- and his messianic mission. It was not what the popular idea was, and so the people were going to be disappointed in it. So he told them, well, don't even tell them then. You know, Wait until I rise from the dead, and then you can begin to pl- proclaim the things you have seen and heard. Um, so, so Jesus now is turning over his mission to, to his disciples, actually to us. And the role then, the mission of the church in in John's gospel becomes very clear. It is is the forgiveness of sin. And that means not just the confessional, not just the sacrament of the confessional, but it means lifting the burden of sin and changing people's hearts in order that that burden does not increase on the backs of humanity. So let us listen now for a moment then to this gospel. Jesus summoned the twelve and he began to send them out in pairs giving them authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no haversack, no coppers for their purses. They were to wear sandals, but he added, Do not take a spear tunic. And he said to them, If you enter a house anywhere, stay there until you leave that district. And if any place does not welcome you, and people refuse to listen to you as you walk away, shake off the dust from your feet as a sign to them. So they set off to preach repentance, and they cast out many devils, and anointed many so sick people with oil, and they cured them. Here here again, here is the mission. The mission of Jesus <clears throat> is to cast out the darkness of the world, to cast out sin from the world, to lift the consequences of that sin from the backs of, his, of the people, in order that they might come to know, to see, and to understand that the kingdom of God is not necessarily of this world. They are not here to build utopia. They are not here to kind of reconstruct paradise. They are here to prepare us for the great event, the event of eternal life. Now, when he sends them forth, there's some interesting things about the sending forth. In In the Old Testament, there is a, a sense of someone sending somebody. And... Uh, the, it is called, the, 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 the actual sending of them is called the Shaliah. And, uh, and that means that they are sent, and the one, the sending, or the, the person is called the Shaliah, and the, and the sending is called the Shalia. and And what happens in this then, this isn't just not you go out and you do whatever you do. No, this is representational. Whoever is sent in this way is sent in the person of the one who is sending them. Um, We have some words for that, deputy, uh, ambassador, legate. We have all those kinds of words in English which sanctify that, which means that the person is not going out on their own, but they're going out in the person of the one who sent them, which means that whoever Jesus sends out is going out in his person, and they they have limitations on themselves, for instance, he says to them, "Take nothing for the journey, no bread, no haversack, no coppers, no purses, um, and don't take a second tunic what what he what he 's emphasizing to them is that to be in his person, to be his representative to um, to be the shaliah of the uh, of the Messiah is to be come in the person of the Messiah. The tendency of anyone who is sent, and we see this all the time, is to kind of make it their mission and not the mission of the one who sent them. Um, we even see that for we see this in American foreign service people who in a in uh, a conservative administration, go out and to represent this country, and yet at the same time they retain maybe a very liberal political posture and find it very difficult to work for it. And the opposite is, of course, true as well. And it's not making a moral judgment on that. It's just saying that it's not the fulfillment of the mission. And the mission is to represent the one who sends you. And so this is what going with nothing means, that Jesus is saying to them, you know, you can't depend on yourself to make this work. Um, You have to be totally dependent on the one who sent you. You have to be totally dependent on myself. And so what happens, you know, and we see this, for instance, this is part of the struggle of the ordained priesthood within the church, Um, all the way from the top to the bottom. Who do you represent? Who are you? Um, is it all about you? Is it all your, is it all your own creativity? Is it, uh, gee, I have to really, you know, be, be super, in, in super creative to do all this, and I have to find, you know, props and gimmicks and all of that kind of stuff that you're going to, you know, bolster my personal presence? And the answer to all of that is, of course, no. The thing that you have to have is a deep faith, a deep reliance on Jesus Christ. Use your natural talents not to enhance your own position and not to enhance your own message, but to enhance the message of Jesus Christ and to make him more present to the people that you serve. This basically then, in this little piece of the gospel, is where the whole mission of the diocesan priest is. It it is therefore to be sent out And we also know that part of the problem that we face and part of the problems that churches face throughout the ages is that it's usually better not to be by yourself if you're doing this. Here he sends them out two by two. That's a very Jewish way of doing things. You always go out two by two. Um, There's all sorts of reasons for that. First of all, it's a check and balance system on each person. Secondly, you're not all by yourself. And third it's a good defense. Um, you're less likely to be attacked alone than, um, or with others than you are if you are alone. So it, it's just a practical thing. And I, and I recall <clears throat> when I was young and, and in school, the sisters always had to go everywhere two by two, um, and that's kind of a reflection of the gospel. You know, they're not just off on their own; they're they're representing somebody. Um, I, I think. You know, I, I don't know whether I've used this before, but it really, it's, it strikes me. Probably one of the clearest, clearest articulations of this, for me anyway, um, is in the life of St. Louise de Marillac. She was the 17th century woman who uh, teamed up with Vincent de Paul and she founded the Daughters of Charity. And uh, they wore a very distinctive garb. They wore the great white hat which in, uh, in 1950 might have looked out of place, but it was kind of the peasant women's hats of Flanders as she took a local peasant costume. And uh, and that's what the sisters wore as a habit. And when she sent them out, she always told them, she says, well, the one thing I don't want you to do, I don't want you to be a do-gooder. I want you, the reason you have a habit on is so that you do not draw attention to yourself. And people are not saying the good, the care the food, the the medical care, all of the kind of stuff that we receive. We're not receiving from, you know, Mary Jane or Susan or somebody like that. That we, it is the representation of the church. Jesus has come to us. The church has come to us in mercy and compassion. In in filling our needs for food or filling our needs for medical care or education or whatever it was, but it was Louise de Marillac who articulated that so very very strongly, and um, and and I think while certainly there's a great debate and it's not you know my place to say what we should do or what we shouldn't do. But certainly I think that that was a great classic example for us of this gospel in practical everyday life. Louise de Marillac understood this gospel exactly. That you are not representing yourself. That you are representing Christ. And so you are to, you are to present him to the people and not necessarily emphasize yourself. I think this is a struggle for many people. And, uh, and many people, you know, are enormously talented and skilled and so forth. And, and that's wonderful that you use that for the sake of the gospel. But it's not wonderful if it's kind of like, um, hey, look at me. And, uh, and, and, and I think that we all have to grapple with that. Every Christian does. Um, I, I use particularly the, the ordained priesthood in this. Um, because this is where it's most public and where it's most seen. What is the priest to do? He is to present Jesus Christ to the people. And in presenting Jesus Christ to the people, he is not necessarily um, going to be able to step outside that role and say, I am introducing the people to me. So that we have this then, and we have this also in the Christian life, that we do not wear our good works on our sleeves. Jesus addresses this again also, and he addresses it in the gospel that we often use for Ash Wednesday, where he said, you know, if you give alms, don't you know stand on the street corner and all this kind of thing, because that was a common thing in first century Palestine. For those who were being generous to hire someone to come and blow a horn when they were doing it so that everyone could see how generous they were. Or when they pray to do so very publicly and demonstratively, you know, in the midst of a crowd or, or a downtown street, and uh, say, hey, you know, look at me, i am got some kind of a special relationship with the Lord. That's the thing that Jesus is very sensitive to in the Gospels. And he's very sensitive to it when he does this, because he uses the language of sending from the Old Testament. He He uses the language that implies a deputation, that implies some kind of a person who is to represent him. It is, and and to carry him, which is the task of the church. The task of the church is not in any way, shape, or form to be able to say, you know, that this is just another organization, and let us, you know, climb as high as we can, and the whole idea, and Pope Francis talks about clericalism. Well, the, the real clericalism, very honestly, is, is unbridled ambition for those who want to achieve an office for their own sake, so that people are proud of me, so that people look up to me. Um, that's not it at all. People should be proud of Jesus Christ, and they should look up to Jesus Christ because of the ministry of, of the priests, the ministry of all people. But in particular, in today's gospel, Jesus is talking about the twelve. He's talking about the ones he has chosen. Pretty much the ones we can talk in terms of maybe even ordained. And uh, and then he says, you know, once you have a dis- once you have accepted the fact that um, you're going out and you you're taking nothing with you, no props, no gimmicks, uh, not even uh, not even sustenance, and. Uh, Nothing that's going to draw attention to yourself. When you go out, then what are you going to do? You're to preach repentance. Cast out demons and anoint the sick. Um, This is an interesting thing, too, because very specifically, Mark mentions the anointing of the sick, the sacrament of of the anointing of the sick. Something reserved to priests because involved with that is the forgiveness of sin. It's very much tied up with the repentance that he talks about. For when we anoint someone, we usually give them the opportunity to repent also, to confess and to repent of their sins. So that we have then here kind of a a paradigm of the pastoral mission of the church. And we also have kind of a paradigm of those who are to carry that out. And and I think you know we can't just take some kind of a primitive mode and impose it upon modern day structures and say well you know we all should be out there with no purses no coppers no haversack no bread. Um, that's not kind of it's not kind of the idea. The idea in here is not just a, a, a non negotiable demand, the idea here is to draw emphasis to where it belongs. This is not about you, Jesus says, but this is about me. This is not about what you think is a good thing to do. This is what I came to do. Jesus, we want to, we want to pay special attention to the fact Jesus never engaged in the politics of the Roman Empire. He never once in any way, shape, or form um, criticize them, challenge them, anything else. They they were irrelevant to him. The draining political power was irrelevant to him. It had certain restrictions that it placed upon it, and the early Christians were to suffer under these terribly. But there was never this thing, you know, if in fact the secular authorities oppress you, then rebel against them. Um, if in fact you don't like the structures of a society, then tear them down. All of this, none of that is in the gospel. None of it. It is all about repentance, the casting out of demons, the anointing the sick with oil, and proclaiming the good news, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. I think that we have to revisit this reality within the church. I know that, for instance, in the the late 40s and 50s, after, particularly, I mean, it's been around for a long time, and certainly, Louise de Marillac put a finger on it. It is not about do It's about taking the, the healing presence of Christ into the lives of the poor and the suffering. That's legitimate. That's what we're supposed to do. And, um, and we are supposed to do that not as, hey, look at me, but we're supposed to do that as a representation of Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what Jesus says in the Gospels. And I think that starting in the late 40s and 50s, especially after the dropping of the bomb in Nagasaki and Hiroshima, there was kind of a a paradigm shift in the Catholic Church and in the whole world. Um, We became tremendously aware of 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 the evil that humanity is capable of, that of all the terrible things that they can do and uh, we lived for several decades after that in a constant fear of nuclear holocausts. And the bombs became bigger, and the bombs became more lethal, and the bombs became more destructive. Fortunately, none of them, at least up to now, have dropped. But it, it created kind of a mindset, a shift mindset. And uh, it was, all of a sudden, we had to take seriously what Jesus said repentance of our sins. But unfortunately, we kind of panicked and we went overboard on that. And we decided that instead of being who Jesus was, we were going to take this charge on ourselves. And we were going to fix the world, not through the repentance, not through the change of people's hearts, not through the repentance of sin, not through the healing prayers of the sacraments of the church, we're going to sociologically, politically rebuild a world. Whenever humanity has done that, it has failed tremendously. It has failed disastrously. We've seen it in our own lifetimes. We've seen the Soviet Union dissolve. We've seen the Third Reich dissolve. Um, we have watched the British Empire um, disintegrate. We have seen, and we're watching our own country in some sense disintegrating as well because we took so much pride in what we had created and what we had built. And, uh, and, and it's pretty obvious, I suppose, um, and, and not making a political statement, but pretty obvious, I think, that, that a great deal of an emphasis of place and people and so forth is taking place in the world, a great shifting of power and, and so forth. And the problem is... And, and this is something that has affected Western civilization and created a certain amount of anger in Western civilization, is that the church, in a sense, failed to prevent the First World War, failed to present the Second World both Christian wars, both wars among those people who believed in Jesus Christ, and yet, somehow or other, Taking the responsibility away from the Lord and onto themselves. They built a house of cards. They built a house that could not sustain on simply human goodwill or human ingenuity. Without the heart and without the soul, of the living God within the midst of it. It did not have a future. It was not sustainable. It was not something that we could look forward to and say with great hope. We have finally successfully created utopia. We have created um, paradise. We have created the kingdom, um, the city of God. We have built it ourselves, and here it is. It's not true, and we know that it's not true. It's pathetically not true when we look back and see the things we've done and seen the things that have happened. And in a way, this gospel is kind of a simple underpinning, kind of a simple support platform for the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to bring repentance to the people, the forgiveness of their sins, the driving out of the many evils that possess them, and healing the sick with oil, and with the anointing of oil, and curing them with our prayers. This is what the mission of the Lord is. And we have got to build, of course, in the church. And this is something that the apostles were very much a part of, of building up those kinds of systems which would draw people in and then send people out to bring this kind of new understanding, this kind of of new repentance, this kind of kind of an, a new state of being into the world. It ran into it ran into opposition from the very earliest days and from the very beginning. Um, it began with the expulsion of the Christians from the synagogue exposing them then to the, uh, to the laws of the Roman Empire, which if they in, as long as they were identified as Jews, they were exempt from, and uh, beginning then with the burning of the city of Rome by Nero, and the great persecutions began. There are those who would say, oh, no, that's all exaggerated, but that's revisionist history, and there's a sufficient primary source material to say that this is just kind of a way of getting something to write a book about. Um, that, the, that they did take place, and we have the documentation of that, and we have the stories about that, and we know how it happened. That this idea of bringing Jesus Christ into the world ended in the same way that Jesus Christ ended. It ended in, in disaster for many of the people who carried it out. The whole, the whole group of martyrs is lies before us, and, um, and in lying before us, it, it shows us sometimes the price that we pay. But you know, we went forth with Jesus. We went forth in his name, in his person. It should not surprise us if perchance sometimes it ends the way Jesus' earthly mission ended as well. It ended that way as far as people know of all the 12 disciples except for John. And it has ended that way For many of the great leaders of the church, for many of the great missionaries of the church, for many of the great preachers of the church, um, we know that Boniface, who brought brought Christianity back to uh, Europe after the invasion of the barbarians, you know, was ended with a hatchet to his head. We know that the North American martyrs, who are simply remarkable, remarkable people, um, ended up also... But that's part of it, because we're not doing it for this world. We're not doing it to create, in some way, shape, or form, a perfect world. We're doing it to draw as many people as we can into the eternal life of God, into the eternal kingdom. And that, you know, this idea of we're going to build a perfect society. We're going to, if, we, if the people won't listen to us, we're going to riot. We're going to burn places down. We're going to be violent. We're going to do all that. Then they'll let it, which is exactly, of course, what um, Hitler's brown shirts did, you know, scare people and, and and make them afraid that, you know, things will fall apart if they don't do what they're told, all of this kind of thing. And yet at the same time, we have this, this great message from St. Thomas More, Uh, Again, a man who lost his life for the faith, wrote a book called Utopia, uh, a satire, and actually using two Greek words, utopos, which means nowhere. In other words, he's held up the vision of the perfect society and basically said only fools will pursue this because it is unattainable and unachievable. The only perfect society that there is is the perfect society of the kingdom of the saints. And the only power within a society which can make it such is the power of the presence of Jesus Christ. And so he instructed them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no haversack, no coppers for their purses, to wear sandals, but he added do not take a spare tunic, and if you enter a house anywhere to stay there until you leave, and if a place doesn't welcome you, shake the dust from your feet. This is the message of the, Christ, of the Christian church. This is the message of our church. It is not, let us overthrow this government or that government. Let us do this, that, or the other thing. Um, people can be involved in all of that, but that's not the mission. The mission is repentance for sins and the getting rid of the demons of our society and the taking care of the people who are in need. When we can do that, then we have been somehow or other the ones who have been the recipients of the shaliach, of the sending out to represent the Christ, and we have done so with his grace, his mercy, and we can do so with trust and confidence in his eternal love and in the eternal well-being of those who accept Jesus Christ in their lives.